following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. In, uh, in June of 2012, exactly seven years ago, this Sunday, today, no. Well, that's something else happened exactly seven years ago today. <laughs> you don't remember that day? I remember that day. That was the first day I was to preach a sermon as a pastor of uh, this church. How about that? Seven years ago today. Yeah. And I tried to use this thing then, and I... There's a, there should be a manual to go with this. There's moving parts up here. What I meant to say is in June of 2012, almost exactly seven years ago today, we began a journey through the letters of the Apostle Paul uh, in the approximate order that they were originally received. Um, the first of those letters... Uh, were written to fledgling churches, brand new churches just starting out uh, that needed a solid understanding of the gospel and its implications in uh, on their lives together, just as we did as a church family. Uh, so we worked through those letters one at a time, verse by verse, seemed like maybe word for word by word. And the middle set of those letters we worked through, those were written to maturing churches that needed instruction and encouragement in their understanding of the mission uh, or understanding the role as church families when it came to God's mission for the church, Um, just like we did. And so we worked through those letters verse by verse. And now... Seven years later, we are at the beginning of the end of this uh, journey through the letters of the Apostle Paul. We are turning to the final chapter of his last recorded letter, that's 2 Timothy chapter 4. This morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5, um, and that's page 996 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Now, it's my hope... um, that in these, um, in the final weeks before my sabbatical begins, um, that it, my hope is uh, to work through the remainder of this letter uh, and maybe have a week or so besides. So, um, but for now, we look at these verses, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I'll read these and then we pray together. Paul writes to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and a teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do
Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father God, you have uh, heard our hearts in uh, singing this morning, uh, pouring out our hearts to you. And now we pray that you would pour your heart out to us through your word. We thank you, Father, um, for writing these words and preserving them for so long so that we could read them and understand what it means to follow the Lord Jesus, to be um, children of God adopted by faith in your Son. So we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would speak to us now through your Word, that our ears would be open to hear your voice and our hearts would be soft to receive your message. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we have... In one paragraph, the entire job description given to young Timothy and to all the others that would follow in his footsteps. Remember, Paul is writing this letter from his prison cell in the city of Rome, which is an empty cistern. He's in the bottom of a well. He's waiting his trial and probable execution. And he gives Timothy this wonderful and weighty charge. He writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in kingdom. Now, if you think about it, Paul couldn't call on anything higher to give weight to what he is about to say. What else is there? Nothing. Paul reminded Timothy that it was before God the Father, the creator of the universe, the maker of every man and woman of heaven and earth. It's before him that Timothy should fulfill this charge. Not only that, but Paul reminds him that the labor, his labor would be before the eyes of Christ Jesus, the ultimate judge who knows the hearts and intention of every man, whose birth and life and death and resurrection completed the work to purchase pardon and forgiveness and adoption as sons and daughters of God for all who would trust in him and call on his name, call on him as Lord. And at his return, every person, both living and dead, would stand before him and answer for whether or not they put their trust in him. Remember, Timothy, it's before him that you do this work. In view of the creator, the redeemer, and the judge, Timothy, I charge you, preach the word. I guess with the, with a charge that weighty, with so much behind it, with so much authority behind this instruction, we probably ought to have a good handle on what it means when Paul said, preach the word. It seems simple, right? Well, it's, you know me, it can't be that simple. I think often uh, maybe we don't like to complicate things. A little too much. Because when things are too complicated for us, we kind of say, well, 
It's too much for me. I can't, I can't do that. It's too complicated, too hard. Maybe we use that as an excuse. But I'm sorry, friends. It's not complicated. It's three simple words. Preach the word. And when we look at the original language, Greek is still three words. Preach the word. The translators, good job. That's exactly what it means. It's not complicated. What is it to preach? To preach is to proclaim, to announce, to make known. It's like a king's herald loudly proclaiming the king's arrival or the king's decrees to proclaim out loud. And the word is the word of the gospel in its entirety, taking none of it away and holding none of it back. Preach the word. To make known that Jesus died for the sin of mankind and that by trusting in him, by declaring that Jesus is Lord, our sin is washed away. We are adopted as children of God the Father. And when we stand before him as our final judge, we will be declared innocent. That's the word. That's the word Paul is saying to preach. Paul also gave young Timothy the whens and the hows of preaching the God's word. This is looking like a three-point sermon. Sorry about that. When should the word be preached? Well, verse 2 says to be ready in a season and out of season. Now, for those of us that live in New England, we understand what in a season and out of season is. Life for hunting. You hunt in a season. You hunt out of season. You get three hots in a cot for a little while and a big fine. So that's not good. But for when it comes to preaching, it should be ready in a season and out of season. It's a lot baseball in our house. We're ready in season, out of season. We're ready to go all the time, all year round. What does it really mean when it comes to preaching the gospel, preaching the word? I'll put it in the simplest way I know how. It's to be ready to preach the word even when churchiness is not expected. Right? We know when it's okay for people to sit quietly in a row and stand and sing in with other people that can hear you. Right? And it's okay somebody stand behind a big wooded thing and pound and yell and we like it and it's okay. Right? But if you find that on a Tuesday afternoon on Main Street, when you walk into the hardware store, it's a little odd, isn't it? Maybe not in your town. <laughs> Certainly not in ours. There are plenty of times when people expect that uh, to hear other people talk about the Lord, right? When they come to church on Easter and Christmas, that's when people expect to hear about Jesus, right? Right? Maybe at a funeral or a wedding, depending on who it was. Perhaps after major national catastrophe, it seemed like uh, 9-11, right? On 9-12, everybody in America called on the Lord. Everybody was pray, right? Because it was acceptable. Most folks are content to relegate Jesus to buildings like this, to church buildings. And when they want to hear about him, they can go there and hear about him. But they don't want him any other time. 
But the charge to Timothy is to be ready to preach the word in a season and out of season. There's, if you think about it, there's countless opportunities for us for the word to be preached out of season if people are open to those opportunities and ready to take advantage of them. Paul gives Timothy not just the when of preaching, which, to be clear, is all the time, in season, out of season, not just the when. Paul also gives the how of a preaching the word. In verse 2, Paul writes, Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, that seemed pretty simple, but it's very unpopular. An unpopular way of preaching the word. It's unpopular because the first half of this formula, these three things, reprove and rebuke. Um, everybody likes to get reproved and rebuked, right? You wake up this morning and think, I can't wait. I know somebody's going to come after me today. I love that, right? No, that's good. I'm glad you agree with me. This is, reprove and rebuke have to do with sin, with people's sin. And nobody likes to have their sin pointed out. Reproving is simply pointing out a person is sin. The beauty of the simplicity of gospel reproof is that it's not based on our opinions of what sin is. We don't get to define it. Culture doesn't get to define it. Only God can say what it is to disobey him because he is the only one that can say what it is to obey him. He did that very simply. He did it with Ten Commandments. You heard of them before? Um, one of the kids, give me a number between one and ten. Are you looking for reproof right now? Give me a number between one and ten. Five. What's commandment number five? Particularly uh, appropriate at this moment. Honor your father and mother. That's my son back there. Anybody here ever dishonor their mother and father? Yeah. Uh, you don't have to shake your head or not. I already know. All right. Give me another number. Somebody else. Seven. What's commandment number seven? You shall not commit adultery. No problem. Not married. Don't have to worry about it. Right. Jesus said if you look at another person with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery against them already. This is what sin is. God made the definitions very simple. And none of us get through life without it. Only Jesus could do that. This is how God allows us to reprove, to point out a sin. It's simple, not pleasant, but it's our command. So if reproving is the act of pointing out sin, rebuking is the act of denouncing it, calling one to turn from it, call it to repentance. Hmm. 27 times in the New Testament, the English Standard Version that we use here today, is the word repent. And it means the same thing every time, to turn away from a sin. 
to stop doing it. Turn completely away. Turn 180 degrees. You go this way. To repent means to go this way. To repent from adultery is to stop committing adultery. To repent from lying is to stop lying. To repent of dishonoring your mother and father is to honor your mother and father. That's how it works. But it's truly more complete and beautiful than that. To repent from adultery is not just ending an adulterous relationship, but a complete turning away from those attitudes and behaviors and seeking after God's truth and honoring Him in your relationship. Honoring Him with your attitude. Honoring Him with your actions. When a preacher of the word comes alongside someone who has been convicted of sin in this way and by God's grace has turned away from it to encourage them in discovering this new way of living, this way of Christ, following after uh, what he wants for us, this is what Paul calls in verse 2, exhorting with complete patience and a teaching. Now, I think it's very important that this this included here because in the, in the history of our country, really in Western civilization, a preacher of the word can roll into town and set up his tent and, and give a stirring gospel message and an altar call and people could come down front and give their life to Christ, maybe. But if those people... When the tent is rolled up and the preacher moves on, if those people are not connected to a local church family that can come alongside them to exhort and teach them with complete patience, their faith will most likely wither and die. The church is not just an incidental organization of like-minded people. We are families connected by the blood of Christ to help one another follow Him. That's why this is so important. That we are here, and it's not just attending church on Sunday morning. And I love how our family is truly connected in this way. Loving each other and stay connected, pray for one another, help each other out. That's what we're doing here. Come alongside, exhort and teach with complete patience. Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The time is coming, huh? I'd say the time's pretty well come when a people will not endure sound teaching, healthy teaching, truth teaching. Lots of preachers and teachers and commentators have gone into great depth in explaining what Paul meant here, heaping up teachers that preach messages that make them happy that promise the fulfillment of their desires and the freedom from pain, that ignore things like sin and holiness 
and replace them with individual truths and nebulous spirituality, the redefining of sin and the removal of its consequences. You don't have to look very hard to see that at work. Your social media feeds, half an hour on the TV, we'll show you all of that at work. Yuck. Look at all those people doing it wrong. Look at all those people out there have turned away from listening to the truth and wandering into myths. Don't we shake our finger at them? Well, friends, you better be careful. It's not just them out there that need to be careful about this. It's us in here. Think about it for a moment. What's become popular and accepted as truth in our time? Reincarnation, evolution, same-sex marriage, homosexuality is normal. These are all either myths or clearly defined as sin in God's word, yet many within the church have deemed them perfectly acceptable, even God-honoring. It's not. We don't get to define sin. God's word shows us what a sin is. We also don't have to like that. Okay? I want to be clear about that. People ask me all the time, or have asked me in the past at least, well, what about this a person that wants to honor God, but is just not attracted to uh, opposite sex anymore? Isn't that the way God made them? And the one opinion on that, how do you feel about that? Well, I don't like that. Not, I, don't, I don't care so much. You feel this way or feel that way about the people. What, what matters is what God's word is saying. That that is wrong. I don't, my opinion on the matter does not matter at all. This is what God's word says. And we can communicate that truth in love. But it's important that we stick to the truth and still have compassion on those who are struggling in that way. That we all struggle with temptation to sin. Just because your flavor of sin is not the same as mine doesn't matter. It's still temptation is temptation. But there is victory in Jesus through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. But when you just point your finger and say, you are wrong, and everything you like is gross, that's not love and not helpful at all, not to anyone. John Walvoord wrote, for error to flourish, both sides of the transaction must cooperate. Both sides of the transaction must cooperate. Um, do you know how um, bank tellers, so people work for the bank, are trained to recognize counterfeit bills? It's not by studying counterfeits. It's by studying the genuine article so that whatever is different, the phony bills stick out like a sore thumb because they're so familiar with what is real. I like my music stand better than this dumb thing. The same should be true of us. That we are so well acquainted with the truth that lies and myths stick out as false. It's obvious. I could go 
on all day about these dumb ideas that have poisoned the church. God won't give me more than I can handle. Baloney! I can't say that because I'm in this giant pulpit. Shake my fist, right? God doesn't want you to be sick or poor or suffer in any way. He wants you to have victory over all your problems. Baloney. It's not what God's word says. Oh, well, that must mean that God promises trouble to us all the time. Yes, that's exactly what God's word says. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. When our trust is in Jesus to help us to navigate through our problem, we will have victory. But it might not be freedom from pain or freedom from trouble. That victory might come at our death. Because by faith in Jesus Christ, this life is not it. We will have victory at the resurrection. When a Jesus comes back and we stand before him and are welcomed into God's eternal kingdom, that's victory. Get a new car, get your leaky roof fixed or whatever. That's, that's, that's temporary. That's a making bed in a burning house. Hmm. I don't remember what I was talking about. Paul closes his thought with a reminder for Timothy that there are going to be false teachers and cult leaders constantly after the church. But you, Timothy, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. See, Timothy had to understand the seriousness of life. I know sometimes we laugh and maybe I get a little more silly than I should. But Paul said to Timothy, not don't ever have fun, don't laugh, be boring. But understand what is at stake in this day. Life is frail. And he had to make the most of every opportunity. Now, as we close here, close out these thoughts on our own, I'll remind you we've talked about the what of preaching the word, the when of preaching the word, and even the how of preaching the word. And I hope that you haven't assumed that you already know the who of preaching the word. Preach the word, Paul says. Now, he's clearly talking to Timothy. He's clearly talking to preachers because preaching is for preachers, right? Hmm. And we know who preachers are because preachers have pulpits. And here it is in all its glory, dusted off just for today. Every preacher does have a pulpit. It's absolutely true. But it's not made of wood. And it's not made of stone. Every preacher's pulpit is their life. Day in and day out. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 16, 15, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all of creation. Now, he's just talking to seminary students there, so we don't have to worry about it. Nope. He's talking to fishermen tax collectors, regular people who follow Jesus. 
with their whole life. If you are a Christian this morning, you have a pulpit. This wooden structure, this isn't a pulpit. This is just a lectern. It's different. My pulpit is not necessarily all the time in this building. I spend about much time in this building as you do. My pulpit is my life. Your pulpit is your life. You can preach the word as a disciple of Jesus Christ from the pulpit of your own life, in your own sphere of influence, whether that's in your family or with your friends at work, leaning on the fence or sitting in the dugout, sitting next to somebody in class. Wherever God our Father has put you, He has put you there to preach the word, to share the wonderful truth that Jesus died for sin and was raised to life to give us new life, eternal life, through faith in Him. Therefore, the Lord is charged us in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and by His kingdom, the Lord charge us, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And with His help, we can do that. All we need is to be willing. We can do that together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the reminder that preaching is for preachers. And we are all them. We can all share the story that you have given to us. The wonderful story of a Savior that died and rose again to take our place on a cross. It rose again to give us eternal life. The simple message that by calling on Jesus as Lord, our sins are washed away and we are made new. Help us, Lord, to share that wonderful and powerful truth with everyone you have us in contact with. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we thank you that it is for all of us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.